This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Wednesday night uh, Bible study at Christchurch. Uh, well, let's just say Wednesday night Bible study from Jerusalem, because now we're quite international. What about eight nations are now slowly being represented here. And uh, we are going to be wrestling with um, idolatry and prophets. And that's actually quite a relevant little piece of uh, information for today's world, I think. And that's going to be Deuteronomy chapter 13. But before we do, we know that the Lord is present wherever two or three are gathered. And uh, it, would be, it would be an insult uh, if we do not invite him and acknowledge his presence. We'll do that through prayer as we begin um, our study. So, Brother Neville, can we, can we pray? Yes, certainly. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your promise to be with us. And Father, thank you that we can set aside the cares of the day and gather around your word. And we pray, Lord, that it will be healing to our bones the way your scriptures assure. And Father, we pray that your spirit would be with Aaron as he teaches and enlighten our understanding to receive the things you want us to know and to be blessed by. So Lord, we, we hand over this evening to you and look forward to the things that are going to be unfolded from your word. Amen. Amen. All right. So in summary from last week, we managed to finish off Deuteronomy 12. Uh, the verses last week we wrestled with were 20 to 32. And so here's a summary from last week's study. The size, shape, and extent of the borders of ancient and modern Israel have never been truly defined and agreed upon. Even here, in verse 20, God says through Moses that when the territory of Israel's conquest has been enlarged, without defining what extent that has been enlarged to, then some dietary rules are to be enacted, notably the consuming of sacrificial and non-sacrificial meat. With no offense to vegetarians intended, God is sanctioning the eating of meat, as he has done since the days of Noah. Animals that are intended for sacrifice to God must only be consumed in God's presence at the chosen place, which is initially Shiloh in the territory of Ephraim. While meat had become an accepted part of the human diet, blood was forbidden to be consumed. Life is in the blood and life was created by God, so it must be returned to God. And this was done by pouring the blood of the animal onto the ground to be soaked into the earth. This applied to both sacrifices and animals used for daily consumption. In verse 28, Moses says to be careful to obey the commandments. In Hebrew, the words are lishmor and lishmoah, guard and hear, obey the commandments. So how is it best to guard and keep the commandments? On your heart. How do you guard the commandments in practice? Well, this begins a discussion on the oral law. That is, the fences, the rules and regulations that were set in place to guard the word of the Lord. Christianity inherited the tradition of building a fence around the Torah. And so 
there are rules and regulations within the myriad of denominations in the Christian world, revealing that they too possess an oral law and a tradition. Guarding and obedience come with a reward, says God, that it may go well with you. And we can witness what happens to modern societies when they reject the call to follow the instructions of God. It does not go well with them. During the period of the judges, the charges against Israel was that they did what was right in their own eyes. Moses says that careful obedience to the word of God will result in doing what is right in the eyes of the Lord our God. What is right in our eyes is often selfish pride and individualism, and rarely the same as what is right in the eyes of God. Thus, a careful study of his word and application thereof is essential to pleasing the Creator. Paul notes in Galatians that the Torah was a shield for the people, but now we have something extra special, the Holy Spirit. Whilst the invasion of Canaan will be successful, there remained the, the danger of syncretism, particularly in the form of idolatry. Moses warns the people against curiosity, intellectual or otherwise, in inquiring after how other gods are worshipped. Despite this explicit warning, we still find Solomon building altars to Molech, as does Manasseh and Ahaz. The worship of Molech included the sacrificial burning of children. This was performed by Israel in the valley of Gai ben Hinnom, later known as Gehenna and subsequently Hades. Our understanding of a fiery hell is linked to this practice. Lastly, Moses again warns against adding and subtracting from the commands of God. He has declared this previously in chapter 4, and it is declared by John the Apostle in Revelation 22, where plagues are called upon those who do not follow the words of the book. Adding and subtracting does not refer to which books are in the Bible, Rather, in context, it refers to the commandments. It is not for us to decide which commandment to follow or not to follow. We also do not add commandments in the name of the Lord. Let the words of the Lord be the word of the Lord. So, uh, a summary from, uh, from our study last week. I think I got all that right. And now... We'll have a look at uh, Deuteronomy chapter 13. So I'll, um, I'm reading it in a you know, corrupted modern NIV. So follow along with ever, any version you like. <clears throat> Moses says, If a prophet or one who foretells by dreams appears among you and announces to you a sign or a wonder, and if the sign or wonder spoken of takes place, and the prophet says, let us follow other gods, gods you have not known, and let us worship them, you must not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer. The Lord your God is testing you to find out whether you love him with all your heart and with all your soul. It is the Lord your God you must follow and him you must revere. Keep his commands and obey him. Serve him and hold fast to him. That prophet or dreamer must be put to death for inciting rebellion against the Lord your God. 
who brought you out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. That prophet or dreamer tried to turn you away from the way the Lord your God commanded you to follow. You must purge the evil from among you. If your very own brother or your son or daughter or the wife you love or your closest friend secretly entices you, saying, let us go and worship other gods, gods that neither you nor your ancestors have known, gods of the peoples around you, whether near or far, from one end of the land to the other. Do not yield to them or listen to them. Show them no pity. Do not spare them or shield them. You must certainly put them to death. Your hand must be the first in putting them to death, and then the hands of all the people. Stone them to death, because they tried to turn you away from the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Then all Israel will hear and be afraid. No one among you will do such an evil thing again. If you hear it said about one of the towns the Lord your God is giving you to live in, that troublemakers have arisen among you and have led the people of their town astray, saying, Let us go and worship other gods, gods you have not known. Then you must inquire, probe, and investigate it thoroughly. And if it is true, and it's been proved that this detestable thing has been done among you, you must certainly put to the sword all who live in that town. You must destroy it completely, both its people and its livestock. You are to gather all the plunder of the town into the middle of the public square and completely burn the town and all its plunder as a whole burnt offering to the Lord your God. That town is to remain a ruin forever, never to be rebuilt. And none of the condemned things are to be found in your hands. Then the Lord will turn from his fierce anger, will show you mercy, and you will have compassion on you. He will increase your numbers, as he promised on an oath to your ancestors, because you obey the Lord your God by keeping all his commands that I am giving you today, and doing what is right in his eyes. Okay. All right, there you go. That was a bit, um, that was a bit tough, the whole let's do some smiting, but it's there. You have to wrestle with it. Okay, so on an initial surface reading, is there something there that you haven't noticed before? Or something you've noticed every time you read it? I think for me, Aaron, the thing that really jumps out is that God says you, if, even if a prophet thinks something comes to pass and it, and it happens, because that's one way of testing if it's a prophet or not, but even if it comes to pass, but the ultimate aim is to lead you away from God then it's yeah. a false prophet. So the key was to lead you away from God. And, and, and yes. also not to desire to become a prophet, really. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, um, there are two, two characters mentioned there, but yes. Um, it is interesting that you have a prophet who can do a miracle of a, and have power and yet have a really bad heart, which is just an interesting, interesting thought. And perhaps, perhaps he didn't start that way. Perhaps the, 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 the passage in the New Testament, you know, the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. You know? So you've got this guy who's a faith healer. He can heal people by the power of the Spirit. That's his gift. He then becomes an apostate, but he yeah. still has the gift of healing. 
Aaron, what I, what I what I think of here is it makes a lot of sense actually uh, now to see the opposition that Paul faced when he was going through amongst the Jewish uh, brothers and sisters. You know, it's uh, because they would have held <laughs> fast to this kind of thing, yeah. and they viewed him as suspicious. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, that's, that's right. Exactly. He did a bunch of miracles in Acts, and nothing happened, <laughs> apart from getting beaten up. Yeah. This is exactly how they view the disciples of Christ in the land of Israel right now. Get correct. It's actually a very um, uh, poignant thing to this day. When we get to those verses, we're going to have to discuss how does modern-day Judaism view us, right? We and, are the false uh, prophets that must be put to death. Right. And they've got a biblical verse to show it. Now, isn't that interesting? The, the whole issue is which God is which and where. Which, a, what, what God is being worshipped in Orthodox synagogues today? That's the question. Right. Well, I would say it's still God, but it's in a misformed way. Pardon? I would say it's still God, but in a misformed way. Oh, I would have to disagree uh, on New Testament uh, discernment instructions and the person of Jesus Christ as well. This is sure. a critical issue yep. in the land of Israel. Yep, but when we get there, we can discuss it and disagree. Good. Okay. Not, not good. Discussion is good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, something that struck out to me, and I, I don't know the Hebrew behind this, but in Verse 17 in the ESV, it said, none of the devoted things shall stick to your hand. And I don't know, I just enjoyed the word picture of almost like trying to throw it in and it clings to you. Oh, oh yeah. I didn't see that. That's good. Yeah. And that's, um, and, that, and that, I guess that reflects on, on idolatry itself, the very nature. It just sticks to us. And um, even though we might want to throw it away, you know, the, I can't remember who the guy who, who, who did the quote, but he said the heart is an idol factory. It just keeps making idols. I think that was John Calvin. <laughs> was that? I, I do believe that was John Calvin. John Calvin. Well, there you go. Okay. What Good is on. an idol? What is an idol? Oh, there's another big discussion, Roddy. Yeah. What is an idol? Well, that's the, this is the reason why I decided to, to have a, the... Uh, a scene from Babylon here, the golden cow, the, you know, the sort of most famous idol that, uh, that we had. All right. So idolatry, worship of, of other gods. And it's linked in, in this chapter to prophets and uh, dreamers. Okay. So in verse 1, if a prophet or one who foretell, foretells by dreams appears among you, and announces to you a sign or a wonder. Okay. Uh, and if the sign or the wonder spoken takes place, and the prophet says, let us follow after other gods, gods you have not known, let us worship them. Okay. So this is uh, two, two different characters appear. Okay. We've got um, uh, the Navi, and then the, uh, the, uh, the Chilam uh, Chalom, the, uh, the dreamer of dreams. Yeah. And so um, Moses is standing around to a group of people and he's beginning to give warnings against idolatry, which he's done before. Idolatry and warnings against idolatry are not new. So what are some of the uh, non-new 
whereabouts in, in the Bible previous to this to Deuteronomy have we got prohibitions against idolatry or cases thereof? The golden cow. The golden cow. There's a big one. Yes, we um, have the golden cow. And prior to the golden cow, um, what is one of the commandments? You shall have no other gods. You shall not make images, right? And bow down and worship them. So we've number got, two. Yes, number two. We got a commandment uh, from the Big Ten, and uh, and we have an immediate failing thereof of it. But there are other um, other instances in the Bible where uh, idolatry is uh, very much a part of Jewish history. Any other biblical characters you can think of? Heroes, matriarchs, patriarchs? Who, uh, who? Sarah. Sarah? Okay. What did she do? She hit the idols. Right? Am I, that's right. Sarah, she hit the Rachel. Idols. Rachel. Rachel. Rachel, 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 Rachel. Rachel. So, yeah. Yes. So you've got Jacob who goes off and uh, finds himself a wife, picks up another one as well. And, um, and uh, Rachel becomes, you know, sort of the famous one because he likes her. Okay. Let's say he didn't love the other one. He preferred this one, um, which I always find interesting. Rachel gets a tomb um, built over her and uh, people visit her. Visit her tomb, but um, she produces Benjamin, which ended up not being a really nice king, and um, and uh, and um, Leah is the one that produces Judah, which produces the Messiah, and no one seems to want to go to her tomb, which is not really fair. Rachel was Jacob's idol. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and when God said, go to Bethel and get rid of all, all the idols in your house, the next thing that happened was Rachel died. Is that right? Wow. Oh, wow. Okay. Interesting. There you go. That's interesting. Because um, when, when fleeing Laban, you know, after all the success that Jacob has, um, Rachel, for some reason, decides, think I'll take the gods. Okay, and and she does, and it, and there doesn't seem to be a comment about it. Like the the Bible, so sort of tells the story and then kind of leaves it blank. So you can imagine how the rabbis today sort of have to um, twist, uh, not twist, but create a twist in the story. Why does Rachel take the gods of Laban? I hear you ask. Thank you for asking, Yvonne. Okay, um, it's because. Uh, Rachel didn't want uh, her father to keep worshipping idols, so she kind of stole them. Now you're doing a good deed, okay? Um, they, it doesn't, doesn't work for me. No, no, it doesn't work for me either. But that's me one either. of the things that they do is they go, oh, my gosh, she, she could possibly, you know, uh, engage in idol worship like this. So they, they try and put a positive spin on it. Okay, Bernardo from Mexico, was Abraham, Avraham, an idol worshipper? Alrighty, what do you think, guys? I don't know if we're told either. His father so, was. We don't know about him. Um, I mean, I guess it's implied, right? The, I, I don't think so because the I think the Lord found in him a specific kind of heart. Surely. Okay. So, um, what does what does God tell Abraham to do? 
right? Leave his father's house. Yes. But does he do that? Not initially. Right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. They sort of all wander off to, to uh, Haran together. Now, why would um, his father uh, wander off to Haran? What, what, what motivation does he possibly have? Other than perhaps he's sort of sitting around, you know, in his house going, wow, my son's hearing voices. I really got to get out of here. Um, uh, you know, this is bad. Where do we have to go again, son? We have to go west. All right, let's, let's try that. Uh, we don't, we're not, it could be that Terra also heard a call to, to leave, um, it's potential. Um, of course, Bernardo, you know the uh, tradition, don't you, about Abraham and the idol factory of his father? Yep. Yep. Yeah. It's just a tradition, it's just a story, it's just a spin. Um, the, the whole idea is uh, they, they have uh, Abraham's father being an idol uh, maker, Abraham was when he was growing up as well and um, and uh, one day Abraham has been contemplating uh, the nature of the universe and he knows that these things aren't gods they can't possibly be so he smashes them all in his in a fit of zeal and leaves the hammer in one remaining idol uh, dad comes home and sees his entire livelihood destroyed obviously very upset uh, looks at um, looks at, uh, at Abraham and, uh, and says, you know, who did this? What, what, what's going on? Why did you do this? And Abraham's like, well, I didn't do that. That idol got completely jealous and smashed all the others. That's why he's holding onto the hammer. Uh, and, and his father, Terah, says, well, that can't possibly happen. They're just, you know, carvings of wood and stone. And Abraham cleverly responds with, well, then why do we worship them? It's a, it's a, it's a, good, it's a good thing which is completely applicable to today's world, the number of idols that we've made that are, that are purely just creations of our, of our hands, like economies, okay? Um, uh, mobile phones. Yeah, mobile phones, which we, have, we love to touch and play and you know, caress and decorate. And, and, and um, break out into a sweat when you take them away. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Especially at schools, apparently. Yeah? Okay. Um, yeah. So, um, the, uh, there is, a, there is a, a tradition in Genesis and in, in, in Exodus of, um, of, of idolatry, of idols that, is, that are linked with the patriarchs and matriarchs. And there's also magic. Magic is a, a, around. Um, and so Moses here is going to link idolatry with false prophets and magic. And he's, and he's going to put it all into the uh, intention of the heart. So in James 4 verse 1, um, James also is part of this Jewish world, knows that the problem of idolatry is that our hearts continually make idols, and, uh, that we're looking for happiness in all the wrong places and becoming unfaithful. Um, and so... You have in verse one, you have a prophet and the dreamer, the, the, the dream diviner, um, who can, who can uh, examine dreams. It's very widespread in the ancient uh, uh, Middle East. The, um, who's our famous character from the Bible? Who's a dreamer, dream interpreter? Joseph. Joseph and yeah, Daniel. Joseph. Daniel, yeah. Yeah, Daniel and we have the, and Joseph. So Joseph's a bit, First, so he's in Genesis. 
and uh, he actually has a different name. He gets called the, the Baal Chalamot. He gets called the master of the dreamers. Okay, this one here is just a Chalem Chalom, the sort of uh, dream, dream interpreter. But uh, Joseph is given a different title. He's called uh, the master of dreamers. Um, and it's a, it's, a, it's a power. It exists. Um, magic was possible. How do we know that magic is possible? What's the, uh, who does magic in the, in, the, in the book of Exodus? The Pharaoh's guy. Yeah. Simon, Simon the sorcerer. Yeah, that's right. He gets to do that in Acts. So it's alive and well still in, uh, in the book of Acts. But it's alive and well in Exodus too that the uh, magicians of Pharaoh can somehow do the first two plagues. Where does this power come from? How does a prophet able to tell the future uh, and yet still entice people away from the Lord? Does he get his power solely from God? Where do dreams come from and the ability to interpret them? What do you think, guys? Any ideas? It's demonic. It's demonic. Okay. All right. Yep. yep. So there's, yep. So there's another realm than the realm that we see. There's probably more. We've talked about it uh, on this studies before, right? Um, there's a, there's a, there's a, uh, there's a, there's this realm that we see, but then there's also the one that's beyond. It's not just the angelic realm. But the, the the heavenlies, and that includes the ability to manipulate via whatever power is there this current realm. So, according to um, to tradition, uh, in books like Enoch and Jubilees, written a couple of hundred years uh, prior to Jesus, so these are Jewish texts that are um, thinking some of these ideas through and jotting them down. So it preserves a stream of Jewish thought. It discusses uh, fallen angels and their influence on the planet. Uh, in particular, that magic is taught by an angel called uh, Amoniel, or God is uh, my fortress. And so he's a, one of the, the fallen angels who follows uh, the leader, uh, Azael, and, uh, and then he teaches people magic. And so magic becomes part of the world. So it's real. It's a real thing, and uh, it can happen, and um, and that's kind of interesting because what would you and I do, or how would you and I react if we saw something spectacular, if we saw something miraculous? We all hope to, particularly if we pray for it. But um, what happens if somebody else is praying for it, and it actually happens? What's going to be our reaction? Belief. What was that, David? Belief, probably. Yeah, or unbelief. You know, you're just like I don't even believe what I'm saying. <laughs> but but also in, in Enoch, Enoch uh, also states that the offspring between the angels and the daughters of men, they are the demonic realm that we know. Sorry, that again. Uh, Enoch actually says that the, the, the demonic the, is, is the result of the offspring between the, the angels and, uh, and the uh, daughters of men, if you like. Right. And then, 
Yeah, it's, it's part of the problem. Somehow the other realm infused this realm almost permanently and, uh, and sort of it created a presence here. The ability to manipulate magic, the ability for demons to exist and influence the, the world. Um, we'll see a lot of that in the book of Revelation and it talks about signs and wonders, how many will be deceived, even the elect. Yep. So, see a lot of that. <laughs> Yes, you do. So in yes, in Revelation, it seems that the 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 nature of signs of wonders is actually going to increase. Um, um, uh, I wish our brother was from Ni from Nigeria was online because Africa tends to have. I think Brazil, you have it too, don't you? There's a lot, a lot. more. Yeah, we have a lot. A lot. We have a lot. lot of that sort of stuff going on. Mm -hmm. um, it seems to be less in the Western world. Although I have a suspicion it's just hidden behind a veil of science. It's okay. all over Israel, hidden. Yes, it's, it's around. Kabbalists are all over the place. Yes. Yeah, we have a... You know, it's it's infected Judaism through the Kabbalah, right? It's mm -hmm. leached in. And, uh, and, it's, and it's bigger than what a lot of people think. Yeah, in the U.S., it's interesting. You don't really, you don't really believe it, and it's so rational and scientific, but... When I first came to Brazil and heard about it, I was like, ah, you know, whatever. And, and then a friend of ours, he's a, he's a pastor at a church, and he said that uh, one of the moms, you know, just this woman off the street said, oh, I have this child that's demon-possessed. Can, can you pray over this child? And he's like, sure, you know, come sit on my lap. It was like six, seven, eight years old. It was like a little child, and this girl, like, he started praying, like, coarse voice just went at the throat and the whole thing was like after that he never doubted again that would be a, that would be a positive thing from the sign <laughs> here rose is actually saying something negative right is that um there are these things the navi and they've got power and there are these dreamers of dreams and they have the ability to to interpret them and um and so when you actually do see a sign and a wonder Okay, great. You see a sign and a wonder. Fantastic. This one comes with a caveat. Right? This one says, you know, that they want you to go and serve other gods and, uh, uh, and worship them. Okay? Or, you know, the, uh, the, and become their slave. It uses the, 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 the phrase eved, which is, uh, is worship. That's true. La avod, but it's also uh, linked to the word to, to become a slave. So we begin, they begin to serve and become slaves to other gods, which is the result of idolatry. Idolatry will always lead to servitude to a false god. Right? You become a slave to another thing. Aaron, uh, yeah? Aaron you, there's a big, if you heard of the Nar movement, New Apostolic Reformation, New Apostolic Reformation, there's, New Apostolic Reformation. Yeah, it's called NAR for short. They're saying that, they're saying, you know, <clears throat> that the, obviously the gifts of the Holy Spirit, you know, the, the, the fivefold ministries have been left behind by the church and that we should be moving in them more and that there should be more prophets and apostles and every should be, everybody, it, it's, a big, it's a big thing. It's very kind of complicated. There's a lot more to it than that, but there seems to be a, a big... Um, rise and courage for people to prophesy and you know I've been wondering with a lot of others lately if this is one of the ways where you know you get the, the true apostles but you'll get the uh, the true prophets but you'll get the other ones mixed in where we need to really be 
very discerning about what's the truth and what's not. And, And many people will be led away by following these people that claim to be prophets. It's a big thing. Absolutely. Yeah. The um yeah. the I, I I I think I've heard of this new apostolic what's it called? Reformation. Reformation. Um because I, I think I know some of the guys that are in Canada that joined uh, the Anglican Church there as part it's of all Especially Israel in America. Well. It's Is in Israel it? widespread. Yeah. I, I, I think this is its newest manifestation because there have been lots of denominations, you know, through history that have had, um, uh, that, have, that have challenged the church and said, you don't operate in the gifts of the spirit, but we do. Yeah. And so we've kind of got the new revelation. I don't think it started the in Bethel, in Bethel in America. Yeah. Uh, currently. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think the gifts of the spirit ever left the church. And, I, and, and there are various denominations that focus on them more than others. Um, but, uh, yeah, this, this movement where um, people begin to call themselves apostles, which is unfortunately prevalent here in Israel and has caused division. Um, uh, I don't know if that's resolved yet, REA. Did they ever resolve that? No, no, no it, it's a huge ongoing dispute. Yeah, it's an ongoing yep. thing. It will yeah. be used as God wants to use it, and uh, sure. He move on. Yeah, Aaron. Yes. Doesn't so Abraham comes from the Chaldeans. He does. And the Magi come from the Chaldeans. Correct. And these guys are all involved in these type of things in various ways. Yes. Yeah, they are. They it um, it shows up in the Bible in a variety of different ways, but the sort of uh, world Malu was that Cal- the Chaldeans had a special connection to the spirit world. They right. could commune with and understand spirits and dreams and things like that. So when you get to the book of Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar is going to bring in his, uh, his wise men to help him interpret his dream, this is before he gets, he gets uh, Daniel, uh, it says, you know, bring in my, you know, magicians, bring in my necromancers, bring in my soothsayers. Oh, and bring in my Chaldeans, yes. right? You know, as though they're a subgroup of all these other magic users. Um, they seem to have a special way of being able to commune um, with the, the heavenly realms. Uh, and Daniel himself is called the uh, Rav Magi. He's called chief of the magicians. So he ends up uh, taking control. Um, of them. But he does it in the right way. Here in this chapter, prophets, dreams, visions, while existing, uh, can lead us astray. And how do we know? Because they're going to ask us to worship something that we don't know. And uh, in verse, in, it's in verse three where they say, You must not listen to the words of that prophet or a dreamer. Listen, of course, in Hebrew. And Shema, which also means obey. So don't, don't just listen, don't obey that prophet, because that's what we tend to do with uh, very charismatic people or people that have um, demonstrated some sort of influence or power. Uh, we do what they say, not just hear them. We end up putting their words into practice. Um, and then here's an interesting verse for you. The Lord your God is testing you to find out whether you love him with all your heart and with all your soul. Okay, so... uh, Aaron. Yes. uh, To me, 
what, what's the main problem is that usually they won't come after you and say, you're going to worship another God. So like right. idolatry is so subtle. But then again, is what we were talking about before. It's th they'll tell you, you can worship your God in this way, you know, be it whatever music style or yoga or Tai Chi or whatever other, um, how can I say it, uh, manifestation of worship or cult or anything like that or honor to, to God. So then when you're all cut up, but, but God tells us not to worship him like the other nations do. That, yes, that was last, uh, last chapter. Yeah. yeah. So it's, I think that's the tricky part. Because nobody's going to go like right after the first time. This, Come, let us worship another God. You'll be like totally resistant, yeah. no? Yeah. Yes. You would, you, won, you would hope so. <laughs> you would hope yeah. that we're not so easily enticed. But that actually right. the, the snaring is a little, a little smaller. And I think you're right. I think um, uh, the parables of the kingdom also reflect that things start small and grow big. You know, um, leaven does eventually in, 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 um, permeate through the whole bread. Um, uh, you know, for good or for ill. Right? The, the spirit can do that amongst his people, but so can um, the enemy. Uh, Marsha made a comment about the New Age movement. Yep, that is an incredible insidious movement that is so accepted in uh, the wider Western world, and it creates a spirituality that seems benign and good and caring and then drops God right out of the picture. Um, and the, the subtlety that is in uh, the church, uh, here's an example. I won't name any names, but uh, a church uh, in somewhere in North America hired a, a new priest. Isn't that nice? We got, we're expanding, doing you know, children's ministry. We need some more clergy. Uh, the church is growing. All good news. Let's hire a new priest. Hire a new priest. First thing he does when he gets into his office is he puts uh, his you know, degrees on his wall, and that included um, his certificate that he was a, a 33rd member of the Masonic Lodge. You know? And, uh, yeah, he probably got fired. But, but isn't that interesting that you know, this guy thought, this is okay, no one's really going to care, you know? Just shove that up there. So... Um, uh, well, also, also, Aaron, what do you make of the idea, the leader of the Roman Catholic Church standing up and saying, uh, because of the crisis that's going on in the world that is, is appealing to all religions to pray? Yeah. Yeah, I know. Yes. It's, it's uh, obviously, we think we're probably, I'm going to, let's just all admit, we're all hardly disappointed with this current pope. <laughs> Let's let's say that, okay? <laughs> I think even Catholics are horribly disappointed with their problem. Uh, is uh, yeah, this um, as 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 a, as a as such a high profile character as he he should have had the you know the the big brass ones to have stood up and said, okay, faithful, let's get on our knees and pray. There's a plague affecting the world. God is in total control. Let's appear to the master of heaven. Um, would have been a good witness, particularly if God had actually stopped the darn thing. Um, not that we're all going to run off and become Catholics, but he doesn't do that. In fact, I haven't heard many church leaders do it at all. Isn't that sad? Not in the UK. That's not it. No. In, 
None in the UK? Yeah, yeah. I haven't heard of any of them in, um, in, in Aussie land or anything. Um, it is a bit sad. Um, the leader of the ACNA did put out a pastoral letter to pray, just faithful Christians, not anybody else. That was nice. But he's such a small figure uh, in, in terms of world politics, no one paid attention, um, which is rather unfortunate. But, yes, it is insidious. It is small, it is infectious, it's very powerful, and uh, it leads us astray. And here, uh, Moses gives a reason why these things happen. And what is it? What does the text say, guys? God's putting us to the test. Um, Why? Why do we need to be tested in this way? For ourselves. Yeah. But wouldn't it be nicer just to have none of this happen? Yeah. Um, but, but that's not actually the way it works, which is interesting. Uh, God, in his wisdom, has uh, allowed these things to happen um, because he, he also wants to, as part of the test, watch what we do and look to see whether we love him with all of our heart. And with all of our soul. Notice. Yeah. Deuteronomy 8, right? So it's to reveal the truth. So what's, so you have an exam, you have an ACT and SAT. We were talking about this with my sister. What's the material that's going to be on that exam? It's it's whether you will obey or not his commandments. It always goes back to that. That's, that's the actual, you know, the test is to reveal the truth, to reveal the heart. The heart. Moses always brings it back to heart. He never once says, um, now, now we can throw the Torah out the window. Mm-hmm. But you start with the heart and you start with your soul, um, but obviously the heart and soul are going to be reflected outwardly in this idea of, well, who am I going to follow? Which, which, which path am I going to be actually serving? Who am I going to be obedient to? So it's still going to look, you're still going to be able to see a fruit. It's like the fruit of the Spirit. How do I know I've got the Holy Spirit? Because I see fruit. If I can't see fruit, how do I really know I have the Holy Spirit? You know, there's, there's, there's this, they go hand in hand. And so heart and soul, key to Moses, key to the, to the book of Deuteronomy, but never, never far removed from, from the, the constant call to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord. Aaron, I'd like to say that I think it's good that the Lord is... Uh, brings this sort of thing into our way because basically there's a ruler of this world and part of growing up into maturity, spiritual maturity, is to be aware of what's going on. And so it's good that the training comes from God's hand in the first instance. Yep. Uh, and, yes. Uh, but we really do need to learn about it. Yes, yes. So, yeah, our first discipline comes from God. Our second one might come from somebody else, which would not be nice. Um, unfortunately, we haven't got anyone here from China right now, but um, has anyone, does anyone know what's been going on in China for the last 48 days? They're closing the churches. Okay, I mean, those house churches. Yeah. yeah. Anything people, else? People who oh, are not income have to deny that they have Jesus take off images on Jesus in their homes in order to get yeah, money. There is, a, there is a big crackdown 
in the in the church. Absolutely. Yeah. I know my my, my mother in law said that um, he like that this president that has placed himself in. He's kind of trying to say that it's for life. Same thing with uh, Erdogan. It's just, yeah. uh, you know, they place themselves in, and then we say, I don't know how it's in English, it's Vitalisi in Portuguese, but it's, so now she says that by him being there, he's able to call the shots and not have any accountability. So you see that yeah. more and more. Erdogan's in power for life. Xi Jinping is in power for life. Uh, the moron in um, mm -hmm. North Korea, he's North in power Korea. for life. Um, there's a few kings that have appeared that who will, will not be removed. Um, what I was actually referring to in China is um, it hasn't stopped raining for over 48 uh, to 48 days now. And so um, the There's sheer flooding? amount of flooding uh, in China has destroyed their crops, has shattered their industry, um, it killed lots of people. I mean, that's horrible. Um, but I can't help notice the hand of God in, in, uh, in the way that he is um, um, saying, you don't treat you know, my people like that. You don't, you don't mock me like this. I will you know, come down on you like a ton of bricks. And, um, which, but no, obviously I don't think our, their leadership is watching. They're still being, being silly. Okay. Um, so God puts people to the test. And, uh, and, and it doesn't actually exactly say how he does that. But um, he does. Here, it's in relation to uh, a sign, a miracle, or a wonder. Looking, the test is, who are you going to worship? Are you going to remain faithful to me and, uh, and, and, uh, and, and do the things that are right in my, my eyes? Or are you going to end up doing the things that are uh, right your eyes but just okay. to clarify Aaron, yeah god know, already knows everything this this test and the results are only for us it's not okay benefit okay i'm gonna from this verse what do you think you well from this verse mm -hmm. just this verse uh on its reading it would sit it, it would suggest that god is watching to learn something from you okay however there are other verses that appear in the Proverbs and in the Psalms and in the Epistles uh, and in the Prophets that God knows the end from the beginning, whatever that means. So uh, he is all-knowing. Uh, so there are other verses, Roddy, that talk about the knowledge of God. But from this verse, you would be able to infer that uh, God is also learning. Okay? So depending on which verses you're looking at. Okay? Does that help answer, Roddy? Some. Yeah, okay. It's you know, God delights also to look to watch our our actions, even though he knows perhaps what they are. But he delights. Uh, this testing and this um, uh, obedience has to do with love, okay? Worship, idolatry always has something to do with love. It is in verse 4, It is the Lord your God you must follow, and him you must revere. Okay. Uh, keep his commands and obey him, serve him and hold fast. Okay, so these, these obedience, this uh, holding fast to the Lord is linked to this loving him with all your heart and with all your soul. So 
having the pro proper worship, uh, engaging in idolatry. These are all facets of love and obedience. Um, so if in this verse, if we follow the, the prophet and the dreamer, yeah. do we also get stoned? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, the, um, the, well, what follows in the next couple of verses, you know, is a, is a very interesting discussion on, um, on capital punishment based out of a community that God appoints. Let's remember that the nation of Israel is not a democracy. The leadership are divinely appointed. And, uh, and so, you know, the realm of the spirit and the civil laws, they actually link together. And so heresy and idolatry uh, has to be expunged in a civic way, which is not just have a, let's have a theological debate and beat them and drive them out. You know, you actually engage in capital punishment. Right? You actually uh, uh, do that. Did Israel do this? Yeah, they probably did. Um, did they do it in the Second Temple period? Did they do it when they were under Greek rule? Most likely not. They certainly didn't do it when they were in Roman um, uh, lands or in Babylon. They stoned Stephen. Yeah, they stoned Stephen. Um, but uh, they didn't do it, uh, like they didn't burn whole towns. Uh, but yeah, so they probably engaged in this kind of stuff, this kind of justice. Um, they slaughtered the Edomites. Yeah, that, uh, that was um, Alexander Janaeus. Yes. 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 Forced conversion. Forced converted. In fact, he forced converted three nations. So um, he can get quite zealous. So perhaps we should talk about that when we, when we get to wiping out towns. And the old All man right. with the halibut. Yeah, they, and they got the old guy with the halibut and they had a movie about it. <laughs> okay, that prophet or dreamer must be put to death for inciting rebellion against the Lord your God. Okay, now the word there for rebellion isn't merit, it's, um, it's a sawah, which is, uh, which is more used for apostasy. Isn't that right, Ariates, to turn away? What's the word? Sarah. Uh, yes, it means to turn away. It also yeah, means to turn away, but turn, not turn away from like a direction, but turn away in terms of like an apostasy yes. type of way. It's, it's, it's rebellion. Yeah. So that prophet again, uh, or dreamer that you must be put to death because he's making you turn away from the Lord your God into apostasy or a rebellion um, who brought you out from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. So from this verse, okay, a couple of things. One, capital punishment of the guy who uh, is enticing you away from the Lord. When you, when you go to describe God, how is God described? He's described by his history. Once again, Moses is constantly trying to, as he's got his people, trying to remind them who God is. You don't just say God, you say God who took you out of Egypt. You don't just say the Lord, you say the Lord who took you out of the land of slavery. Okay? The things that God has done reveal his character and the type of person that he is. So he's this type of God. Which God are you following again? Are you following the God that can... You know, make a puff of smoke or something. But we follow the God who took us out of Egypt. We follow the God who redeemed us from 
from slavery. God has done great things, and it's part of his character and identity. Okay. All right. So they, uh, uh, the prophet or dreamer tried to turn you from the way the Lord your God commanded. You must purge the evil from among you. So capital punishment and uh, involving um, killing the, uh, the dude. All right. <laughs> I remember this this day we were studying there in the in the patio, and this blonde guy with piercing blue eyes came in saying he was Jesus and oh that and, guy. But then we we started talking and he was married to to the devil and all this stuff, and I yeah, was I about to guy. beat him. Yeah, thank God yeah. Vita came and escorted him. Very politically correct, but I was ready <laughs> to beat the crap out of him. Well, well done, Vita. You know, there yeah. you go. Right? <laughs> you, you saved uh, Bernardo from committing a capital offense. All right. Yeah. But he wanted to. Okay. And, um, and this, is one of the, this is one of some of the passion and zeal that uh, remains, okay, in, um, in, in, in essentially all religions. Okay. Um, it's not just Judaism or Christianity, or Islam, which has this passion for killing uh, heretics. Okay? Uh, the Hindus do it. Okay? In, um, uh, uh, in, in India, Hindus and Buddhists are you know, uh, destroying each other. There are other, other traditions. Uh, um, communism. Uh, communist China has its current tally uh, has killed 80 million people. Of its own citizens. I mean, that is a frightfully large number of people that don't think like them, talk bad about the state, lead people to turn astray, so they they kill them. So there's a lot of passion in believing you're right, and uh, and and there's and we have a verse that instructs the the children of Israel that uh, to protect your community, to purge it from amongst the people you have um, sanctioned execution of, uh, of the unbeliever. Um, and in, and in, the, in the Israel's case, particularly amongst uh, Messianics, but not only, also amongst uh, Christians, and, and Roddy would, would, is a victim of this, is uh, while they don't throw stones at us to kill us, they do persecute us in, uh, in many legal ways, don't they, Roddy? No, they, yes, they, they do. They do. I'm, they I'm reading the history of CMJ of the past 200 years, the daily, yeah. the daily writings of what these people kept every day and every month. And it's been going on since they first started in 1822. Has not yes. stopped. Yeah. The, um, uh, the, like today's, today's problems are our uh, fights with the Ministry of the Interior uh, for visas, for any sort of legal status, to keep our families together, which unfortunately yeah. some of us are victims of. It uh, doesn't happen that way. Um, but uh, in the past, there have been curses, right? So I remember when I first used to show up um, to, to Christchurch in 1998. Um, uh, when I would, every time we would show up to work, every day, 
we would um, we were living in the old city. Took about a five minute walk to get to Christchurch. Get to these nice big black gates, and there would be um, tape from a cassette tape wrapped around the gate. Now, seems innocent enough. Some crazy kids decided to pull the tape out of his cassette tape and tie it to our gate. Why would you do such a thing? Any idea? They put curses on the tape first. They did. That's right. They would pray curses, and then they would come out in the middle of the night and wrap these things around our gate. So we would unwrap them, put them in a little bonfire, pray, back on the gates. Very next day, done it again. Modern technology shows up. Cassettes no longer used. Now we use CDs. So I used to show up to Christchurch, and there'd be broken CDs standing on the, sitting on the front gate, um, you know, constantly curling, hurling curses at us. I mean, I don't know what they do now, but I haven't seen it any, anymore. Maybe they just so sort of... The curses were actually recorded. Sorry, sorry, Bernardo? Were the curses actually recorded? Like yes. audio-wise, yeah. Yes. Now, this actually is an ancient practice. Um, we actually have some of these curse balls uh, in Christchurch in our museum. Um, so uh, what you would do is you would have, 2,000 years ago, you'd have a pottery bowl um, about, about kind of this shape, and on the inside of it, you would actually have, you know, in Hebrew letters um, and sometimes Aramaic, a curse. And it might, you know, I wish Aaron, you know, immediate death, you know, may his children always be barren, may his crops fail and his house fall down and all that kind of stuff. And uh, you would then take this bowl and break it and, and, and leave it on the uh, threshold of your enemy and that would release the curse. So that was something going on 2,000 years ago, still going on uh, today. Just a few years back, they put a public curse on uh, Ariel Sharon and with Within under the Atra Sikhra, under the Kabbalah, and within months he had two uh, brain events and died later. Yep. Um, Christ churches had curses put on it. Um, the 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 rabbis of the in the eighteen hundreds would forbid uh, if a Jewish person died at any of our hospitals, and we had quite a few of them. Um, then they would not get be given Jewish burials. You know, these kinds of you know sort of nasty things um that's how judaism feels about christianity not all facets of it of course because you know i study with rabbis and uh, we have some great intellectual discussions and no one's feeling curses at me from that community but there might be some from others uh, uh one for israel i know, I know. one yes. for israel there one for israel gets it yeah they get it quite a bit because they're a bit more public at the moment uh, Yaakov Dankani's had his uh, fair share. Now, Christianity has done it too. Okay, let's not you know, throw stones from a house of glass. We've had our problems of burning heretics, mainly each other, actually. You know, Catholics burn Protestants, Protestants burn Catholics, everybody burns the Orthodox and throw a few Jews into the fire. This is not enough of them around. But if they were, we would have burned, burned a few more anyway. Okay, go off on, on, on massive crusades, kill people. But we do it a lot. We, we, it's not an excuse. It's just, it's... People had passion. They had these texts and they said, no, we're right. We're, everybody else is obviously hearing from a false god or they're being turned away, so we've got to get rid of them. And, and they did with their passion and enthusiasm. Uh, 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 the Maccabees did it. 
Okay, the, the, the guys who gave us the donuts, unfortunately, got into a lot of messianic zeal and really thought that they were bringing in the last days. And they went out to force convert the enemies. They got rid of the Edomites. Uh, they force converted a bunch of Samaritans in the Galilee. Um, and, and one other tribe, like further north, I think, they uh, can't remember the name of it, escapes me right now, but they, they force converted uh, these people and wiped out the people who didn't which is you know, kind of problem, problematic. And, the, and, and we, we can see it happening in, um, in Islam, in their nations. They're butchering each other, Shiites and Sunnis going, going for it, all full of passion. They all think they're right. Uh, and some of them, most of them, have Bible verses to back them up. I think... Um, some of the key aspects of this passion and uh, the restraints of zeal, because zeal is there. Look, Pinchas had zeal. He stabbed uh, Zimri and whatever her name was. Uh, and then he ends up uh, going out and wiping out Midian on behalf of the Lord. Okay. Um, the Lord your God is putting you to a test to find out whether you will love him with all your heart and with all your soul and keep his commandments and obey. So part of the check and balance for zeal is also following the commandments and doing what is right in the eyes of the Lord. And so there are correct ways to treat strangers. There are correct ways to deal with enemies. There are correct ways to deal with slaves. There are correct ways to, uh, to deal with um, uh, false, false gods. So there is a check and a balance, but it's not always clear. It's not always easy. Um, uh, and and uh, um, it, it creates, uh, I guess, um, the problems that we see, we see today, that we've seen through history. It gets even worse. Now, what happens if your family engages in apostasy? Oh, boy. Okay, what does it say? Verse 6. If your very own brother or your son or your daughter or the wife that you love or your closest friend secretly entices you, let's go on after other gods, the gods that you don't know. Okay, what do you have to do with them? Not yield, not listen, and you have to be the first person that engages in, in retribution. Okay. Um, in today's world, where do you see that occurring a lot? Islam. 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 Right. Uh, and in some, some, some uh, parts of Indian places, the idea of an honor killing. Yeah. Right? You know, this, uh, my family my own flesh and blood, have done something bad, I will be the one who enacts vengeance, not somebody else. I'm not going to give it to the police. I'm not going to give it to the religious authorities. Um, and yet you have that same idea, that same, those, that same uh, theology right here in Deuteronomy, right? Is that, um, you know, if, if, if it's internal, if it's within the house, okay, you got to fix it. Because... Um, uh, yeah, this is, uh, well, it's, it's interesting. God says, show them no pity. It's a hard, these are hard verses. 
Okay. And um, unfortunately, it leads some people to the conclusion, which is an old, old thought, that there are, right, the God of the Hebrew Bible, and then there's the God of the New Testament, and they're just two different. Right? You know, there's sort of uh, um, uh, the, was it Marcionism or was it Arian? Oh, Marcion, Marcionites. Uh, Manichaeism. Is that that guy? Yeah. Manichaeism mm -hmm. is the duality. Yeah. No, it's Marcionism. Yeah. There was a strong counter church movement um, in the second and third centuries. It was very popular, very widespread, lots, lots of books written about it. Um, that they came to the conclusion that the God that was represented in the Hebrew Bible certainly not it. Uh, Jesus is talking about some other God, and because uh, the same God couldn't possibly command this and then tell everybody to love each other and turn the other cheek. Oh no, that's just two different things. So, how do we reconcile it, guys? What do you think? And the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Yeshua is the Word. This is the Word. This is Him. And if we read at the end of the book, the same thing's going to happen again, and Yeshua is going to be leading us with the sword to take out the evil. And it may include your family. Yeah, okay. That is, yes, in Revelation, that kind of stuff looks like it might go on. But we don't do that right now, do we, Roddy? Uh, I mean, uh, <laughs> we turn the cheek at this point. At this point. I think we must recognize that the character of God as revealed in Christ is permanent. He is not going to change his character or the methods that flow from it. And in embracing Christ, we embrace loving our enemies and praying for them. And this will be our call and gifting and leading until the end of the age. We have very clear teaching from Jesus, even in his uh, so-called uh, Olivet Discourse, that we, as we head into the end of the age, we will, in fact, as the disciples of Christ, experience a worldwide holocaust because we are his followers. We embrace and we accept this instead of, Fighting back, we turn the other cheek, and therefore we enter into the victory that has been prepared in the resurrection of the dead. Yep. And Jesus never shied away from speaking about judgment. Right. No, he didn't. And, and in fact, it's, I think it's interesting, and this, this isn't my thought, but it's, it's interesting to think of it like this, that God could not entrust the detailed teaching about hell and Gehenna to anyone else who was not going to die for people to prevent them going there. Hmm. But, but also, Aaron, uh, right now we're going through this period exactly as Arya has just spoken, because surely it's changed now. The vengeance will be carried out by Lord Jesus himself, right? Yeah. So what, where, where we were expected to throw stones before, the Lord is the one that's <laughs> going to do it. Right. So, um, the, 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 the Jewish people already had to wrestle with the things we're wrestling with a thousand years before Jesus, or 500 years. Because once you've been taken away into Babylon, you have a real problem putting this into practice. Right? And, uh, and so, you begin to already start the process of, well, what did God really mean? Like, did we only do that when we first got into the land? Like, uh, and, 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 then, and then 
Now we're in captivity. Obviously, we can't do some of this stuff because if we did, the Babylonians are going to come and like um, really take us to town. The Romans don't like it. Um, having said that, just what we see with Stephen um, and Paul okay, in the book of Acts, it happens to him too. Okay, They do take it upon themselves to purge uh the evil from within. So this probably did occur in the land of Canaan, probably did occur in various time periods through, through history, uh, and, and, and I'm going to probably say probably occurs even to today. Okay? Um, perhaps not state-sanctioned like you have here. Right? Because let's remember that the, the, the governmental structure of uh, Israel is that its leadership you know, is it's not a democracy. You don't vote on these guys. Right? These are divine appointments. Um, God chooses the, the prophet who's going to speak for him. There will be these false ones, but God is the one that anoints prophet to prophet. Um, and so um, spiritual and civil order are interlinked and uh, heresy and spiritual deception get extreme punishment um, here because you've got the scenario to be able to, to do it. Um, but uh, you don't have that scenario all the time. And then later on, the character of God, as, as Ariane, a bunch of you other guys have, have said, is exactly the same. So God's response to false gods, to the false worship, to the false beast, is exactly the same. He's going to throw him into hell. He's going to, to, to smite him. He's going to um, have his, his revenge. Same guy, same, same person doing the same thing. Um, Some verses from uh, Romans 12 would be helpful here. I think um, Paul says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will replay, says the Lord. Yes. Yeah. So he's got, uh, quoting the prophet there. Mm -hmm. um, then, to, you have, uh, sorry? then you have Zechariah, the coming of the day of the Lord where, you know, he'll come and he'll fight the mountain of olives will be split and then he'll come and bring judgment and all of the holy ones with him. So there's that concept of, of that divine retribution with the glorified saints. Is that the divine council? Is that, I mean, who is that? That's a good question. So we've got this future expectation of, um, of purging, of God doing all the, the stuff. But until then, living under and as disciples of the Messiah, disciples of Christ, followers of Jesus, people who are supposed to look like him. How do we, as a community, how do we guard ourselves against the insidious nature of idolatry? How do we guard ourselves against a false prophet? We have Jesus' instructions how to confront these things in the body of Christ. We, we start one-on-one, -on -one, and if it yep. doesn't work, we start two or three-on-one, and if that does not work, we take it to the church, and there may need to be ultimate separation. But that is the one and only means of discipline that, that Christ has given us in the church. Yeah, the, um, that's, um, 
in Matthew, the, uh, the, the idea of church discipline, um, which, is, uh, which was alive and well at the, uh, in other Jewish communities as well. So it's within the, the church. And it's interesting that um, in that passage of um, uh, going to your brother, you know, one-on-one in the book of Matthew, it's the only time in the Gospels that the word ecclesia is used. Isn't that interesting? It, uh, um, it's the, it's the, the word ecclesia is used in the epistles, yes, lots of it and, and further. But um, it's interesting that it's, it, the, the word church, ecclesia, appears there only in that context. That, uh, and at the time, obviously you're only talking about a Jewish movement, but it expands. Um, so it's, a, it's an interesting little thing. We do have a mechanism to deal with it, and it begins uh, internally, and it doesn't involve stoning people. Um, and in the ancient world, how did we stone people? We often think we threw rocks at their heads. Um, the only the physical description you have of stoning, yeah, is you actually take a rock and you smash the person's chest. Okay, not their Wasn't head. It that you had to be, you know, like at least a fifteen foot drop, and that the the first pers- first witness would drop the stone, and like you said, aiming for it to be in the chest. Correct. And then um, other witnesses, each getting one stone. I, I've also heard that then, despite all that, if the person survived, then they decided that God was saying he was innocent after all. I don't know if that's a true. I don't, I don't know if that's true. It could be. It really could be. It could be like, oh, my gosh, nothing kills this guy. Okay, he must be, he must be innocent. Um, yes, you aimed, you pushed him off a cliff, hoped that didn't, that killed him, probably didn't, but if it stunned him, that was good. You then, you then um, dropped a rock on his chest because you were aiming for the heart, right? In Jewish world, they thought that their thinking was done with their heart. So you didn't want to break their heads. Uh, that's more like a Greek idea, like remove your head from your body. So that's a Roman Greek thing. Here it was um, uh, uh, crush, crush your chest. Um, because it was about your heart and where your heart was. Um, in, in a, as followers of the Messiah, we, uh, we still have a heart and a passion for our brothers and sisters, particularly if they're doing something, something wrong, uh, and then we go to them. In the passage in Matthew, it says, um, if he hears you, you've done well. You know, the, the, the point of... Um, he didn't have to. He didn't have to immediately repent. You know, he didn't have to. Oh my gosh! You know, I made a public confession in front of the church. Your part of the job was get to hear, to be heard. The Holy Spirit's got another part of the job too. Right? Yeah, there's a, there's a, a part the Holy Spirit's got to play in, in, in the community as well. But as as uh, you know, honest students of the of the Word of God, here we have um, a command to the children of Israel to try and keep idolatry away from the people. It was obviously very wrong. It was very enticing. It was very powerful. It was very insidious. And uh, so much so that the, the initial stages here were, even if it's within your family, you, you make sure you purge it from the community. And, it, and, it, and, it, and idolatry so offends the Lord 
that uh, you have to get it done straight away and you have to be the one to, uh, to, to put it into practice. The result, uh, uh, so in verse 9, okay, uh, Moses says, you must certainly put them to death. Your hand must be the first in putting them to death and then the hands of all the people. So you've got that idea of you go first. Uh, family, family goes first. Stone them to death because they tried to turn you away from the Lord your God. And then his self-description, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Don't go back into slavery to a foreign God. And then all Israel will hear and they'll be afraid and no one among you will do such an evil thing again. And so you have this idea that, um, that you know, the word will spread and that people and that fear of the Lord will actually also keep you in check and keep people uh, uh, down. Remember, as, as Paul says, the Torah was a shield, but now you've got the Holy Spirit. Okay? So at the time that God writes this, it is effective, it is good, and it is just. It doesn't seem that way when we read it 2,000 years after the Messiah, but it's still a Holy, holy Scripture. It still shows us the heart of God. Because what, who does he want to protect? Who's God trying to protect here? His children. Yeah, Israel. Israel. He's trying to protect Israel. I mean, yes, he's also trying to protect his name. Yes, he's a jealous God and doesn't like other gods uh, to be worshipped. But at the end of the day, you know, he's trying to protect his people. I don't want you to be enticed and go back into the land of slavery. I've actually liberated you. You know, this was a big effort for me, okay? You know, I did the, the plagues and the... And the, and the and the um, drowning of Pharaoh's army and the feeding you guys for so long and you know, making sure your clothes didn't wear out. Don't run away now. You know, this, is, this is actually for your good, for your benefit. It will go well with you. There's lots of positives that God is trying to, to give to his people. So you could only focus on the negative side, and I think that would be wrong. Also focus on the positive side. Why is God doing these things? There's a, there's a benefit to it. The benefit is that uh, um, it will protect you. It's a, it's, a, it's a protective measure for the good people. Um, and now we'll do the, the town thing, okay, which we unfortunately uh, uh, also get. If you hear it said about one of the towns that the Lord your God is, is giving you to live in, that troublemakers have arisen among you and have led the people of the town astray, saying, let us go and worship other gods, gods you have not known. And then you must inquire, probe, investigate it thoroughly. And if it's true, and it has been proved that this detestable thing has been done, then put it to the sword, everybody who lives, destroy it completely with its people and its livestock. Dump everything in the middle of the town. As Aaron said, it's sticking to you. Don't, and, uh, and burn the whole darn thing as a burnt offering. You can't even keep a piece of their property. Okay? Um, there are instances in the, in, the, in the books of Judges and things where you know, interesting events occur where uh, all Israel, or large parts of Israel, um, get very excited and enact vengeance. Anyone remember a particular incident? The salts. Which one? After, well, no, I just, uh, 
placing the salt after after the you know to destroy the um oh yeah we sow salt into the ground so they can't even um uh re-fertilize their, their, their property in fact god here says you know make sure you burn the whole place and never rebuild it again um Jesus curses three cities, right, that are never to be rebuilt. Chorazin, Bethsaida, and, uh, and the Capernaum. Um, there is an incident in, in, um, with the tribe of Benjamin. You know, we yep. end up uh, doing some nasty stuff with a concubine, and then we just about wipe out Benjamin in vengeance and, and, and anger. Uh, that was even more than just one, one town. It ends up being almost an entire, entire tribe. Um, while we don't have uh, a record in the modern period of Jewish people enacting this kind of uh, vengeance, um, we do have it, unfortunately, in the Islamic and Christian world um, and in, in some sections of, uh, of Hinduism, um, the, the passion to actually wipe out whole, 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 whole towns as though idolatry was some type of you know, cancer or a disease, but it does show us the passion that God has for idolatry. And it probably also reflects our weakness in recognizing its severity. Um, we, as a, as a people, we allow the uh, idols to constantly infect our, our world. We allow uh, idolatry and our, and our um, uh, poor theologies to, be, to, to push us away from serving God. And, uh, and we do so at our peril. Because the God that we serve, yes, is gracious. Yes, is loving. Yes, is merciful. Yes, has sent the Redeemer. Yes, is incredibly close. But he's also the all-consuming fire. He's also... Um, jealous. He's also a God who takes vengeance. You know, he's, he's both the creator and the destroyer. He's both the builder and the one who can tear down. And, uh, um, he is justice. He's, he, and everything God does is, is justice. Mm -hmm. And, it's, and, it's, and it's, a, it's a perfect justice. Aaron, one, one observation. I think probably the nearest thing I can think of that corresponds to the destruction of a city was when Jehu destroyed Bethel. He, he wiped out the descendants of the dynasty of Omri, of Ahab, uh, and yes. comprehensively destroyed. Really, it's, I suppose it's the shrine of Bethel. I don't know how much of the, how much of the city came, on, came under that judgment as well, but it, it was a fairly comprehensive exercise. Yes, the children of Israel have already done it. So here we are, you know, about to cross the Jordan. We've wiped out large sections of the Amorim. I mean, we've taken their cities, 60 cities, as, uh, as Moses had said. Prior to this, Pinchas uh, has gone off to destroy Midian because of um, Balaam and, and um, Balak. You know, we've, uh, we've already done uh, these kinds of uh, sort of horrific battles. That was the way the ancient world worked. Well, uh, the, the, the Bible is also reflecting a reality that there was in that day. Um, but in terms of the character of God, it does reflect his, uh, a side of his nature that perhaps we don't like to think about because we don't want to become familiar with it. 
Yes, I, I think that we need to be very careful and not be tempted in seeing the means here as something we need to enter into. But we definitely, in my opinion, need to learn from this passage the utter ruthlessness that Jesus prepared and called us to in dealing with sin. There is yeah. no, nothing beyond, uh, there is no, no means ruled out in dealing with it. We, we take his language and cutting out entire organs. I don't know that he was actually calling to us literally, but he was definitely illustrating the ruthlessness with which he's calling us to deal with sin. Yeah, well said, Ari. Jesus is a sin fearer. There is no place for sin in the life of the believer in the kingdom of heaven or anywhere close to God. And as you know, vessels of the Holy Spirit, it shouldn't exist in our community either. And so we have to learn. We have to learn from the way God views this, with His, you know, His utter detest for idolatry. We have to recognize its insidiousness, that it's enticing. It seems attractive. It might have miracles or powers attached to it. Some of them might be good, right? Um, they could, the, 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 you know, the enemy is, can be dressed as an angel of light. It might look fantastic, uh, but yet the end result still has to be, just as, just as Moses says in the last parts of this chapter, okay, that um, the Lord will turn from his fierce anger. So God does have anger. It is an emotion. That is not a sin because God has it. He will show mercy. That's a lovely characteristic. We always like that bit of the Lord. And he will have compassion, which is also a wonderful characteristic, which we all want God to have on us. The blessing is will increase in number. He will maintain his promises that he swore to our ancestors because we obey the Lord by keeping his commandments. Now, remember, this is linked to our heart and our soul, which has to be correct. And it's got to be linked also in the, in the emotion of love. Love, heart, soul, obedience. Um, so all these commands that I'm giving you and doing what is right in the eyes of the Lord, making sure that we don't end up with this sort of self-pride and doing what is right in our eyes, twisting our, uh, uh, our interpretations of the Scripture to fit a sin or to, to make ourselves comfortable to be able to live with a sin. It's very dangerous. It's a very dangerous exercise. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's around. It's, um, it's unfortunate. But brothers and sisters, we have to be vigilant. We don't get to do this by ourselves. We get to do it with each other. I think that's one of the probably the great blessings of the kingdom of heaven is that uh, the Holy Spirit uh, dwells his community, not just a group of individuals, but in, in amongst his people in amongst our houses, in amongst our, our um, families. And, uh, and then we want, we want to try and make sure that our bodies are holy, our families are holy, our houses are holy, uh, and holiness is transferable, oddly enough. Okay? You know, it can reach out onto other places. It can even touch things. You know, God says to Moses, take your shoes off. You're now on holy ground. Why? Because I'm present. Okay? So when God is present, things 
things become holy. We've got to try and keep that sin far away from us. So turn from idols. That's hard because, as James says, our heart is full of, of idolatry. And, uh, and yet that is the place we need to love the Lord our God. So we've got to work on it. And we get to work on it with the Spirit. We get to work on it with um, the power of, of the Messiah, which is a good thing. All right. Uh, any other comments on um, the destructive nature of idolatry and the result thereof? Uh, just one last comment about on the letter of John, 1 John chapter 5. The last phrase of his letter, his parting shot, is, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Yep, it's, it's incredible, isn't it, that idolatry was right there in the beginning. It's still in, it was infecting. These are believers we're talking to, right? You know, it's, it's insidious. Um, and it's within, it, we, it, we, would be, we would be foolish if we thought it wasn't present with us today. So we have to be on our guard and, uh, and be vigilant. And, um, and when we see it, we have the practice uh, not to, to grab stones and start killing each other or burning whole towns, but um, as we discussed, go to our brother in ones and twos and talk and uh, have ourselves heard. And, 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 the, and the really uh, thing that makes you, you know, sit up and take notice is the statement that covetousness is idolatry. So for this materialistic society, you know, oh, the yeah. Western society, but this yep. is, uh, that's going to hit hard. And it's, uh, and you, there's, a, there's not an easy way through. You know, it's, it's, it's a uh, constant challenge to make sure stuff doesn't stick to us in the way that we read or get in the way of our relationship with, the, with our Lord. Yeah. Aaron, yours was the ESV version, was it, that said that it was like this, like sticking to you? Is that the one you were talking about? Yeah, uh, that's in yeah. the ESV, yeah. 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 And, and, that, and that, that's a good one. Because that's like our materialism. It's, uh, yeah, I was going to say, I looked at the Hebrew behind it, and yeah, it is the word to cleave or cling. Yeah, so it sticks. It clings, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and there, there, are, there, are, there are passages, you know, where they would have to be wipe out towns, but then um, people would keep some of the material for themselves, and it ended up rather poorly. Uh, in our modern period, yes. Yeah, what is it about our lives? around our house we like I have to admit there's some stuff I like I like my big screen TV but maybe I shouldn't okay so there you go got to work on that one all right okay see you <laughs> later guys thank you for listening if you've been blessed by this teaching let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page on SoundCloud or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts you can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.